welcome. Amen. A uh, little less in the basin, you can bring me down a bit. Thank you. Uh, wow, amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, there are songs that I have heard that I didn't like, but when I got here and I heard this worship team sing them, and I think it's because I know their hearts. Aren't we blessed to have a group like this? And thank God for the gifts that he gives to his sons and daughters. Amen? Amen. So, hi, I'm Dave. I'm your friend. I may still be at the end of this. We'll see. Get that first slide there, Brian. This, term, this um, sermon's entitled, What is Love? So that'll give you an idea of where we're going. Let's go to the scripture. Going to my life verse. One of my favorite verses. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Through, By this we know what love is. Because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for others, for the brethren. But so whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love not in word and tongue only, but in action and in truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we know you're here. Your spirit's been moving mightily already. And what we desire, the only thing we desire is that you speak to our hearts. You are the bread of life. We have no need of man's wisdom. Nobody needs to hear what Dave thinks. We only need to hear from you. So, Father, move the lips or keep them silent. And speak to our hearts that which we truly need to hear. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So... This passage was written by John. It was written when he was serving in the church in Ephesus. He was probably fairly old at this point. And John is known as the Apostle of Love. And there's this wonderful story that I love about John. It's an apocryphal story, meaning that it's not part of the scriptures, but it's written in the early church uh, manuscripts about 30 to 40 years after John died. And it tells about John being very old. And he was brought into the church to preach. And he was sold that he was actually brought in on a stretcher. And so they brought him in, and everybody hushed down a little bit, and they're listening. And John kind of raised himself off the stretcher. And he looked at the congregation, and he said, Little children, love one another. And then he laid back down. And after a minute or two, somebody in the congregation said, John, is that it? Isn't there anything else? And John lifted himself up again, and he said, if you do nothing else, that's enough. That's enough. John is known as the apostle of love, and please don't see him as some wishy-washy, namby-pamby sort of guy. If you read First John, you can't get that opinion of him at all, because John puts it in flat-down terms. John approaches it pretty straightforward. He says, if you say you're without sin, you lie, and the truth is not in you. He says, how can you possibly love God whom you've not seen when you're not loving your brother whom you have seen? So John lays it out pretty clearly. And in this passage, he begins by telling us this is how we know what love is. And the emphasis in the original language here is when he says this is, what he's saying, this is the very thing. This is the definition. If you want to know what love is, here it is. You don't need to look any further. Now, in order to preach this sermon, I need to give you a little bit of history. Next slide. 
You up for a little history? You know, I was talking with some folks on the worship team who are wonderful people. Slightly weird, but wonderful people. And we were talking about how we love to people watch and how we like to listen in on conversations. And sometimes we listen in and we only hear one side, so we kind of make up the other side. Have you ever done that? A few of you? All right. Well, sometimes when we're reading Scripture, it's sort of like we're listening in on a half the conversation because we don't understand the history that, uh, that goes along with it. Okay. A lot of the New Testament was written to combat a specific heresy known as Gnosticism. And it comes from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. And this is important because that heresy flows right down through today. You'll see this in a minute. But essentially what these people said is, we have some special knowledge. And see, you, you need this special knowledge to fully be all that God wants you to be, to fully experience salvation. It isn't just enough to have Jesus or just enough to have his word. You need this other mystery that we alone hold on to. Have you ever wondered what heresy is? can give you a real simple definition. You don't have to go to cemetery. I mean seminary. You don't have to go there. <laughs> right? Here's the definition. Jesus plus anything is heresy. Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus special knowledge. Jesus plus the Book of Mormon. Jesus plus Joseph Smith. Jesus plus anything is heresy. All the worship team and uh, the sound team last week were wearing T-shirts that said, It is finished got it tattooed right here. The completed work of Jesus Christ is all we need. So anybody tells you anything like that, that you don't have it when you have Jesus, they're lying. Run in the other direction. The only thing they should see is butt, elbows, and heels. Leave. Because it's heresy. So these folks thought that they had special knowledge. And that special knowledge really was kind of dualism. What they said was that anything that was created, anything that was physical, was evil. Anybody see a problem with that? Who created everything that's physical? And when he created it, what did he say afterwards? It is good. God created everything. It is good. Sin has come and warped it. It's not all that it should be now, but it's still good. So they said everything that was physical was evil, and everything that was spiritual or non-physical was good. That was essentially what they said. And it took a lot of forms over time. But the two main forms was there was one group that said, because everything that is physical is evil, you should avoid everything that is physical. Okay? Carrot cake? Uh-uh. Bad stuff. Right? It got so bad that there were some that were even teaching that married couples should refrain from intimacy because it was physical. That's why Paul had to address that in the letters to the Corinthians. Don't deny each other, except for a time to devote yourself to prayer. See how it was infiltrating the church? And we still have some of those people today, don't we? They can walk into the church and they suck all the fun out. Right? You got to grow this out, cut this off, not do this, grow, you know, do something different. Anything that is good or fun, hey, be careful about how you sing, because if you start swaying, that might lead to dancing. Would that it would. Amen? Wasn't nearly enough amens on that. we got to work on you. <laughs> but that was, one, that was one side of it. The other side of it said, because the spiritual is all good and the physical is all bad, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. You can do anything you want as long as you think good thoughts. Right? 
You can, you can engage in the worst kind of sin. It's fine. But as long as you're thinking good thoughts, it's all right. You, know, you can take your brother out back and beat him up. But as long as you're thinking loving thoughts, it's all right. <laughs> Let me know how that works for you. But we have some of those people still, don't we? It doesn't really matter that I cheated on you. After all, it hasn't affected the love I have for you. Right? Oh, yeah, I know. I don't, I don't attend the church, and I don't serve, and I don't give. But I have warm, loving thoughts about it. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> this is what John's talking about when he says, how can you possibly say that you love God when you continue in a continual fashion and a bent towards sinning? Right? Still there. And these, these heresies actually got so bad that they got to the point where uh, the great her uh, heresy of Arius, you know, the two things that um, still plague the church today, that either Jesus was not God, have you heard that? And that Jesus didn't really die. Because after all, if he was spiritual and good, nothing bad could happen to him. It was just the flesh suit that he put on that died, not really Jesus. Okay. Now, beyond the history, I've got to give you a little language lesson. Next slide. In the, we have real trouble, trouble in English because we use the word love for a lot of things. I mean, uh, I love my dog. I love strawberry shortcake too much. I love we, the kingdom. I love my wife. I'm talking about very different things, but we only have one word for it that we use for all of that. In the Greek, in the New Testament, there were four words that were used. Uh, eros, agape, storge, and uh, phileos. Right? We don't have time to talk about all of those today. We know some of those. I mean, we obviously know what eros is, but eros, really what it means is desire. It can be desire for anything. It can be desire for strawberry shortcake, now that I've mentioned it, right? Uh, desire for whatever's cooking in your uh, oven right now. We're really going to concentrate. And storge is the love of the common. Uh, sort of the love of home. It's that feeling you get, that warm feeling, if you've been out of state on vacation for a long time, when you see that br uh, sign on the bridge in Kittery says, Welcome to Maine. I'm home. I'm home. It's a love I have for my uh, recliner, which is far too great a love, unfortunately. But the, the two words that we're going to focus on this morning are philios and uh, agape. And philios is friendship love. Philios is, I love you because we share the same ideals, the same goals. We're going in the same direction. We want the same things. We got these things in common. You're my bro. And agape means choice love. I choose to love you. Not because I get anything out of it. Not even because you're lovely. Maybe not even because you're worth it. But because I choose to. And in Jesus' time, just like today, Philios, is, is, that friendship's love was considered to be the most important. Way more important. After all, that's what propels us and moves us. It's a thing that gives us the greatest joy, right? To be with friends, to share like minds, to engage in activities together. Everybody wants to have a friend. Nobody wants to clean out the tub walkie or take out the garbage or do the difficult things. 
See, in, in their society, friendship was important. Agape was way down on the bottom of the list. He kind of needed, because kids need to be taken care of even when they're brats, right? The trash does need to be taken out occasionally. you got to follow uh, certain laws and certain societal norms, otherwise society collapses. But it wasn't really all that important. You are never going to see a Hallmark special on Agape. Just not going to be there, all right? But Jesus turns all that upside down. Jesus says that agape is far more important. That friendship, like the other three types of love we're talking about in the Greek, are need loves. What they're saying, what those types of loves are really built on is, I love you for the way that you make me feel. I love you because you look good. I love you because you help me do things. We're going in the same direction. I love you because you're comfortable and you're familiar and I feel at peace. And all those things are not necessarily bad. Matter of fact, through an awful lot of the New Testament, you're going to be told that the way we should feel towards each other is philios, often translated as brotherly affection. Because we do share a goal. We do share some, the same ideals. We are going in the same direction. But the problem with philios and those other loves is the minute my needs aren't getting met, they go away. How many marriages have been broken because you just don't meet my needs? You no longer look like you did when we got married. I'm not comfortable around you. All those are transitory. But choice love, duty love, remains. It's about making a choice to act in ways that benefit somebody else, even when there's nothing in it for you. Making sure that the trash gets taken out, the birthdays get remembered. And God calls that the highest form of love. In this passage, he's speaking about agape. And when you understand both the history and the language, it explains a certain portion of Scripture, which you probably you may not have understood before. I've put it up here in the NIV, um, John 21, that slide. Okay, That's the NIV version. I'm about to give you Dave's paraphrased Greek version. Now, remember when this is. Jesus has risen. He's gone out. They've had the miraculous catch of fishes. They're with Peter and the disciples. John's there. And they've eaten by the lakeside. And afterwards, he takes Peter aside. And it's often referred to as the restoration of Peter. But he takes Peter aside and he says, When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Are you going to choose to continue to love me and follow me and serve me rather than just go fishing with your friends? Even if they choose not to, are you going to choose to follow me? And look what Peter replies. Lord, you know I filios you. You and I are buds. Man, we've been together for three years. What are you talking about? Because John didn't, Peter didn't get it. So he says to him again, he says, no, John, John, do you agape me? Are you going to choose to follow me and love me 
even when it's no longer comfortable, even when it doesn't feed your needs, even when it causes hurt and you're left alone. And Peter again replies, he says, Jesus, what are you talking about, man? You and I, we three, remember, I'm part of the three. I was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with you. I'm the guy that said you are the Messiah. We are buddies. You know I love you. And then finally, next slide, he says, Simon, I get it. You know, until I'm actually gone, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you the ability, you're probably not going to be able to agape me. So, John, do you at least filios me? Are we friends? He says that to Peter, and Peter replies, Jesus, I'm there. I'm your bro. And notice what he says next. Feed my sheep. And at the end of this, he goes on, and he says a little bit more. Beginning in uh, verse 18, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You did what you wanted. You met your needs. And you went where you wanted. I walked with you. We went places together. But when you're old, somebody else is going to dress you and take you places you do not want to go. And that's when you're going to know what agape is and why it's important. And we know that we know that Peter's caught up in this friendship love because after all this is over, he points over at John and says, "What about him? <laughs> I'm your bestie, right? Because uh, friendship's always about who's best." Yeah. Now that we understand that that tension between agape and philios, and what we experience too, because we do experience. Look at our hymns. Look at our songs. So many of them. What a friend we have in Jesus. We have a friend closer than a brother, right? It creeps in. So let's look at the text again. Back to the other slide. Next slide. Okay. Back to 1 John. This is how we know what love is. Jesus poured out his life on the cross. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus gave everything that he had. All of his divinity, everything, he laid it out on the cross for you. And that's what we're supposed to give to one another. That's how we're supposed to treat one another. And John's not willing to leave it there because he's afraid we're going to spiritualize it. Well, He's not uh, literally telling us to lay down our lives. That's a figurative thing speaking because we're not all called to be sacrificed. John knows we're going to do that. So John goes on. He says, if anyone has the means of life or the goods of this world, there are several different material possessions. The word there is bion. And what, what it means is if you have the means to sustain life. It does not mean if you're rich. It does not mean if you have an abundance. It doesn't mean you have more than you need. If you have the means for life. I mean, if you have two sandwiches and you meet somebody that's hungry, they get one. If you meet somebody and you only have one sandwich, they get half. If you meet someone and you only got one sandwich and you've eaten recently, they get the whole thing. It's the means of life. 
And we all have that. It's, it's, John puts it this way. So none of us think that we're excused. Have you ever heard the survivalist rule of threes? They'll tell you that a person can survive for three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food, but only three seconds without hope. And God has given us all of that. You live because God breathed his breath into Adam. That wind, that air is what gives our bodies life. He's our our strong tower, our shelter in a time of storm, our refuge. Jesus is, is given us the water, the spirit of God, and poured it out liberally on all flesh. He is the bread of life that sustains who we are. And man, he has given us his words of hope, of life, of comfort. We all have that. Every single one of us have that. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? It wasn't supposed to be that way. You ever read that? And all those people gathered, what did Jesus say? He said, you feed them. He said, you feed them. He knew that Walmart wasn't going to make a grocery delivery right there. They didn't go out that far, right? But he also knew that God was never going to put anybody, any of his children in a position where he didn't provide the supply that they need. You feed them. We all have this. We all have that ability. Now John goes on from there and says, so you have the means of life. And if you have that means of life and you shut up compassion, or the King James Version says, shut up the bowels of compassion within you, how can the love of God be in you? And again, in the original language, and I'm going to murder the pronunciation, but it's splanknon. What it means is to have your guts twisted. If the love of God is in you and you see your brother in need and you're not tore up inside, time to do a check about you, where you really are. Now, I don't know about you, but I love this body and being grafted into it. You folks have become my family. You know, when my sister Sarah, when her husband died, not husband, when her father died, I cried. When I got Mark's diagnosis, I wept. And I didn't weep because I have no hope or I didn't believe that God couldn't do a miracle. I wept because I knew my brother and my sister, his wife, were hurting. It tore me up. Why? Because that love of God is in us. It compels us. We're supposed to mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. We are family. You know, we're all part of the same body. And he doesn't leave it there. He goes on, because if he left it there, he could be a good Gnostic, really. Oh, gee, something really bad happened to Craig. I'm sorry, Craig. I'll have good thoughts, and I'll pray for you. See you later, bro. Hope that works out for you. (laughs) He doesn't say that. What he says is, dear children, 
Do not love in word and tongue only, but in action and in truth. Here's, this may come as a shock to you, but all the really important words, all those things that we lift up that get preached about, they're verbs. Faith is a verb. Worship is a verb. Love is a verb. It requires action on our part. We see, see our brother in need. Jesus looks at us and says, go feed him. Go hold him. Go speak words of hope to her. Go encourage her. Now remember I said that I was your friend? Here's where we're going to test this. Okay. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, you read the parable of the talents. Right? We all remember that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through this. But we read the parable of the talents. And we know one was given one, one was given five, and one was given ten. And at the end of the story, towards the end of the story, the person given it comes back. It's a representation, symbolic of Jesus. And say, what did you do with the talent that I gave you? Folks, we pray. We prayed this morning before the service that we would see the miraculous happen in our midst. We prayed that the Holy Spirit would visit this place with such power that none could deny it. And I got to tell you, Jesus is standing here and saying, what have you done with the talent I gave you? You have the means of life. Why are there needs? You have the words of hope in the midst of a hopeless generation. There are those whose spirits are broken, who are downhearted, who are discouraged, and you have the ability to speak life. What have you done with those talents? And why do you ask for more if you haven't done anything with those first? Pastor spoke a powerful message a few weeks ago. Y'all remember? I'm here to tell you that there are locust moments in your life. And there are locust moments that occur every week right here. Scripture says, if any of you are among you are sick, sick at heart, sick at body, sick at soul, let him come. And have the elders in the church come and anoint him and pray for him. That's my challenge to you this morning. I know there are broken spirits here. I know that there's pain here. I know that there are things that have never been healed. And I'm telling you right now on the authority of God's word that all the supply that is needed to meet those needs is here in this room. God is in his people. 
His spirit is moving among us. And here's the place that we need to be. And I would invite the prayer team to come up, but I think they're all away on vacation. But any, any of you that feel so led to be up there, up here, and then for the rest of you, can I just speak plainly? Been up to this point, right? Sometimes we say, oh, I don't feel led to go up to pray. Problem is you're feeling way too much led. Right there. God has called you. If you're feeling led, it's that kind of led. It's not about that. God has commanded you. Agape love means we choose to serve him even when we don't see the way. We trust him even when we don't see the evidence of it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come up and to pray. Well, gee, Dave, I don't know what to pray. Well, I'll tell you what. Speak your testimony. Look at each other and say, I believe God's going to meet your need. I know that God lives inside of you. I know that you are more than your circumstances. I know that there are difficult things right now, and I know you want to lay down and give up, but not today, because God is here. You are going to kick addiction's butt. You're going to move beyond your trauma. You're going to experience all that God has for you because God is here. If you believe that, if you want to have that locust moment, if you want to rub those legs and develop power, now's the time.